Should it still be called a mouse these days? I don't know. Not the direction I expected to be going as we started off this episode, but... Well, I'm just kind of, I'm thinking about it. Why was it called a, a mouse? Because it has a, it has a tail or it used to. Does your mouse have a cord? I don't even have a mouse mouse. I have a touchpad. Well then, geez, you have no idea what I'm talking about. My little thing has no tail though. It's more like a hamster. Sometimes you need someone to be around you. Someone to sit down and pour you short juice. But sometimes saying goodbye to familiar folks is the only way. Sometimes that's when you finally find your space. Welcome to the Japan Distilled Podcast. I'm your host, Christopher Pellegrini, recording in Tokyo, Japan. And with me in Fukuoka, Japan, is my co-host, Stephen Lyman. We're both certified shochu and awamori professionals, published authors, and we don't not necessarily mind canned cocktails so long as they are Japanese. We've been exploring the wonderful world of Japanese spirits for a combined three decades or longer and are excited to share them with you through this podcast. Stephen, how are you doing? I'm good. And I feel like I made a typo in your intro because you said don't, not necessarily. <laughs> but I kind of right. like it because <laughs> we're not, <laughs> it kind of works. This is an interesting episode for us. Uh, we're going to be talking about drinks that come in cans, which is a first. It is. Yeah. I mean, I don't think we've talked about canned drinks before, but also these are made with spirits, at least in Japan, which makes them interesting. They also can be made outside of cans, mm -hmm. but that's, that's just part of the discussion, I guess. Yeah. So today we're going to be tackling a topic that may feel, I'm sure some people will think it's a bit off brand, I guess, for us, but it is certainly a part of Japanese culture and it's something that must be discussed and it's something that we have a lot of experience with whether we really think about it or not and that is too high. So we're going to talk about what this is in a great amount of detail in just a couple of minutes but before we do if you have been enjoying the show then please tell everyone about it and of course the reviews the ratings all the kuchikomi or the, you know, just telling your friends about it is very helpful because it helps like-minded individuals or people who just are interested in Japanese drinks to find out about it. It absolutely does. And I actually spent this afternoon catching up on the show Tuesday where you interviewed Wit from Horizon. Mm -hmm. And I learned so much in that episode. And as, a, as an observer rather than a participant, I realized our content, I think, is pretty chock full of great information. At least that's what we strive for. And it seems to be working. I, I learned a tremendous amount from, from you and Wit talking about rice and just all sorts of things I didn't know about. It's pretty cool. Yeah, that was, that was a very educational experience for me as well. And it's, it's something that we need to keep on, keep the pedal to the metal on, which is getting really interesting guests on to talk about these products, this culture from a variety of viewpoints. And I think we got some exciting stuff coming up, including what will be coming up on this podcast when we enter the new year. So anyway, just back to the the canned highball, basically, which is a chew high, a shochu highball. 
Japanese people love to truncate longer phrases. So you get a four syllable phrase that's that's got the ends lopped off it. So shochu highball becomes chu high if you lop off the first and last syllables. And this happens all the time in Japanese language when you think about it. I mean, you have the the vending machine, which is a jido hanbaiki, right? That's and a jido hanbaiki becomes a jihanki. So they give it like a little nickname almost. It's a shortcut. Mm-hmm. And everybody knows that McDonald's here is not McDonald's. They don't call it Mickey D's either like they do where I'm from. They call it Mac. So, and, and Ronald McDonald is not Ronald McDonald here. He's Donald McDonald. <laughs> Remember that when they ask you about it in customs. And uh, anyways, for the show to highball, again, we get to too high. And this is an ubiquitous drink in Japan. It, it really can't be overstated. It's as common in food and drink establishments as beer is, really. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. There is, it's nearly equal in terms of the coverage. And you can get it in all convenience stores, basically all supermarkets, pretty much everywhere. But what exactly is it? A really good question. I guess that's where we should start. As with almost any non-traditional drink in Japan, we really have to look to the almost immediate post-war period. So just after World War II, beer is prohibitively expensive. Whiskey and wine are luxuries well beyond anybody's imagination uh, uh, for, for people who, you know, were just struggling to survive. And sake had been so adulterated due to war period rationing that the reputation was just in the toilet. And it was still more expensive than shochu. Mm. It's Southern cousin, right? So folks in Tokyo, you know, they w- didn't really want to drink shochu straight or even diluted with water, probably because it wasn't a very well-regulated industry. And by all accounts, a lot of shochu at the time was of ambiguous quality. And before 1949, shochu was categorized simply as new machine or old machine. Right. Any guess what that might re- refer to? Sure. Yeah. Column still versus pot still. And the pot still, the traditional style of making shoju and awamori, that technology, I guess we'll call it, even though it really was probably just clay pots or even hollowed out logs for a long time, that came into the most southern parts of Japan, probably in the late 1400s. And and then developed into a spirits culture of its own as it traveled up through the archipelago, finally reaching what is now Kyushu. And that's where the whole, you know, everything, all of the really good stuff is made down that direction. And then you had the the coffee still or the patent still or the column still, whatever you want to call it, reached Japan's shores in the late 1800s and then started getting used in the shochu industry in the early 1900s. And that was the birth of Kōrui Shōchū. That was when mm-hmm. we, it was a completely industry-changing moment when this new style of koji fermented spirit could be made, but it could be made at incredibly high proof and incredibly efficiently and therefore very cheaply. Exactly. And it, that's the new machine and where the old machine was the uh, Honkaku Shōchū, you know, the good stuff today. Right. Uh, but anyway, so izakaya and bars in Tokyo began making shochu highballs after the war because they had this almost unpalatable spirit. Nobody really wanted to drink it, but it was the cheapest thing around. And this was the cheapest way to drink. So they realized that even shochu and soda 
which is what they were trying to make, which is that the classic highball is simply a spirit and, and soda water, wasn't great. And so they started adding fruit or fruit juice or syrup. And the Chuhai was born. That's really the genesis of all of this. And in uh, Eastern Tokyo, there's a bar called Sanyu Sake Bar. It's still around today. And they claim to have been the originators of the birthplace of the Chuhai. Of course, there's about a half dozen other bars in the neighborhood that make the same claim. But I think right, we, can, right. we can fairly certainly say that the Chuhai was born in Eastern Tokyo sometime after the war. Yeah, it's really interesting because the groundwork for this culture, the Chuhai culture, had been laid, some of it before the war and some of it after. Before the war, you had the, the birth of Takara Shochu. And then I think, I th actually, no, I don't think, I know for a fact that in 19, shoot, 1921, Karupi Soda was born too. So you kind of had the basis for this mixing established before the war. And then after the war, you had a, a bunch of other entrants, but that we'll get into those later. And then it, it just took a while for this to evolve. And yeah, I, I was going to say the same thing. Tokyo seems to be ground zero for where all of that began. And it would make sense, I think, because I can imagine and we've seen old video clips, we've seen post-war movies where you just have this vibrant drinking culture that was really springing up in, in big cities in Japan uh, that were not rural anymore. They really were trying to embrace uh, Western styles of, of life. And, and so bar culture became big. Everybody was out drinking, trying to have a good time, forget the past. And, but they wanted something easy to drink and cheap to drink. And so the Chuhai right. ended up stepping in and it really became something for Izakayas to make. You know, they're easy to batch. It's basically right. soda, fruit juice, and or some sort of syrup with shochu of some kind. Yeah. Right. So really, really easy to drink, a lot of variety. And I think we could classify probably, I was thinking about this earlier today, the sours as well, right? All of the yeah, Japanese definitely. style sour drinks fit into this same category of the Chuhai. Absolutely. In, in your experience in Tokyo with going out to Izakaya and having Chuhai, I'm sure you've had many nights where you've had a few. Yeah. What kinds of different Chuhais have you tried in an Izakaya setting rather than, you know, the stuff we can find in cans? You know, one thing that I really love about the Izakaya culture in Japan is the fact that individual in Izakaya will often have their specialty Chuhai. It'll be on the on the menu. It'll be a often one of the cheaper things that you can choose. And it's something that, as you say, they probably batch it and they can pump it out really quickly. But I've had like, I've had a wasabi highball with real actual wasabi. So like the hon wasabi. So they, they grate it and they add that to the highball. Um, I've had, I've had an amazing highball that was uh, kombu and, and katsuobushi in like a in a rocks glass and then it was essentially an oyuari shochu poured in there and it was it was and you could keep refilling it, it the kaidama which we always think of kaidama as being something for noodles right but actually mm -hmm. kaidama was more hot water and shochu so it was that was just an umami bomb and such an interesting there's so much creativity i mean you said sours i've had strawberry sours or ichigo sours mm -hmm. i've had and you're right you said as well that fresh fruit is often used and that's the truth they do often use fresh ingredients 
if there are fresh ingredients involved, then the price tends to go up. You're not below 500 yen anymore. You tend to be closer to 700, 900 yen. But hey, they're really, they're really simple, but very tasty drinks. How about you? I mean, that's, it's funny you mentioned those prices because those are definitely Tokyo prices. Even with fresh fruit down here in Kyushu, I can still find highballs for about 500 yen. Mm. <laughs> now, there's a, uh, there's a standing bar I like to go to quite a bit here in Fukuoka that they'll do uh, fresh frozen lemons. And, if, oh, yeah. and, you, and you, you can do the okawadi, right? Basically the same kaidama idea where if you get a refill in the same glass with the same lemons, it's like half price, right? Yeah. It was like 450 yen and then it's 200 yen for your refill. Yeah, they, fr- they freeze them in like a, almost like a, a flayed out uh, swath of playing cards almost. So they're kind mm-hmm. of, uh, at least the ones I've seen and they, they freeze them in rows almost and they just slide that into a jo- jokey glass and they're pretty yep. cool. They are. They are. I have, I don't have nearly the experience with different styles as you do. I've never even heard of wasabi and highball. I'm a little curious about it. <laughs> it's it's a specialty. Yep. It's a it's a it's a special experience, and it's. But like I said, it really is. I mean, one of the new SG Club places in their orbit, they have an izakaya that has tons of different types of lemon sours, and they're all slightly different. And the the menu is hilarious to read through. But it, it really is something that is not at all unexpected and is often appreciated if you're opening an izakaya or you have an izakaya in Japan is to have a pretty good chuhai game. Yeah, a lot of places do seem to d- distinguish themselves based on that. And that's that really becomes a drink that they're known for. And I guess the most interesting one that I've had now that I think about it is, is a tomato chuhai. Yeah, tomato obviously it it technically is a fruit, and if you haven't had tomatoes in Japan, you're missing out because they're really good. Yeah, they are. They tend to be quite sweet. They're delicious. They've got the acidity, and they make a, a beautiful drink actually. So, it, and it, it's nothing like a Bloody Mary, right? You don't have all the spice and the other garnishes and things. You basically just got, you know, either fresh tomatoes or fresh tomato juice with some soda and some shochu, and it's it's a pretty nice drink. Yeah, I I would yeah totally agree. So. I think to solidify our definition of what a chuhai is, traditionally it was shochu, and by shochu we mean korui shochu or that new machine make shochu that is very neutral and very easy to work with. Uh, And then either a mixer, by mixer that's a pretty broad category of things that can be mixed in, it really is. And then I've also seen some places that do a shochu mixed with a different type of alcohol. So that, I guess, could is sometimes called a chuhai as well. Whether you want to agree that that's a chuhai or not, fine, we can argue about that later. But it's called a chuhai on the menu. So it's a really interesting and diverse part of the drinking culture here in Japan. And for a long time, or for the early part of its life, it was really something that was done in a food and beverage uh, establishment, meaning you went out to drink them. You didn't often drink them at home, but that changed. Yeah. So just to follow up on your, before I get to the change, uh, okay. What would a mixed base be? What other spirit would you mix with shochu in a, in a chuhai like that, that you mentioned? Would that be rum? Would it be whiskey? I've seen it with, I've seen it with wine before. Ah, interesting. Yeah. So, I mean, there's, 
you absolutely could do a split base with another spirit, but I was actually thinking wine. And there's some creativity out there. You, if you look hard enough at, at the drink lists in some of these izakaya, they'll be, they'll have a weird one tucked in there. That's like, what is that? Why does that, that says bakudan? That means explosion. What is that one? I want to know what that is. (laughs) So it pays to ask often just to see what creativity has been happening behind the curtain. Sure. You're, you're absolutely right. I'd seen like Aka highball, right? So red highball and sure. it's made with yeah. wine. It says, it says red wine right on the menu, but I never thought that they might actually juice that up a little bit with some shochu. I just assumed it was wine and soda, basically a spritzer, but you're probably right. It's probably got a little bit of kodori shochu in there as well to punch it up. Yeah. Well, and to go back to that point of the, the old school way of making chu highs, it was often shochu. But as we move into the more modern era of Chuhai, and particularly canned Chuhai, you start to see other spirits getting in there. And it's still called a Chuhai because it's in the same tradition. Mm-hmm. Sure. Yeah, and actually, the canned Chuhai started earlier than I expected. Oh, yeah? Yeah. I thought it was a post-bubble sort of thing. It was like, yeah, we don't have all the money to go out and spend anymore, so we're going to start drinking at home. But actually, it was 1983 when Toyo Shuzo released the Hayriki. Oh, yeah, the Hayriki. Sure. As the first canned Chuhai. And the Hayriki is still around. Yeah, it is. Now, I spent a lot of my afternoon here in Fukuoka trying to find a can. Of course you did. But I, I didn't have any luck. <laughs> but uh, I will find one and I will try it. But uh, I hadn't, I'd seen the brand before. I didn't actually realize that was the first Chuhai. Uh, but of course, now it's owned by Asahi. Uh-huh. It seems like anything that becomes popular is purchased by one of the big four, right? It's, it's uh, Suntory, Asahi, Kirin, or Sapporo ends up buying like anything that becomes popular in the, in the alcohol beverage industry here in Japan. Yeah, I think you're right. But uh, today, Can Chuhai is a huge market. And as beer sales continue to slide lower year over year, the beer makers have started to fill their portfolio with, with Chuhai. And actually in 2020... Chuhai sales were up 10% in Japan. And this is in a, a drinks market that's been shrinking. Yeah. Right. So a 10% increase when everybody else is going downhill is pretty impressive. And it's really been driven by uh, lemon Chuhai. Lemon flavored Chuhai are really what's driving it. I guess that citric acid with the sweetness and the, and the alcohol really, yeah. uh, people have been enjoying it. Revenge uh, of the sours. Yeah. So taking a step back, what exactly is a can chuhai? Sure. I mean, we mentioned before it's korui shochu, which is essentially vodka. When we when we think about it, it's a column distilled spirit that's it's essentially an industrial neutral spirit. And then carbonation and fruit flavors are added, and you have uh, alcohol percentage, usually between about three and nine percent alcohol. Mm. Citrus flavored. Offerings tend to have higher alcohol, I think six to seven percent, while other fruits such as peach or melon, they tend to have lower alcohol content, around three or four percent. It seems that citrus can hold up to higher alcohol than the softer fruits. And also the sweeter fruits tend to be favored by uh, female drinkers in Japan. And so I think there's an attempt to make a lower proof drink for the ladies who don't necessarily want to get as hard a buzz as, as the guys. Yeah, fair. And the you you talked about nine percent. That's the strong category. I think seven to nine is probably a fair zone for that. And those really came into force in, around 2010. Mm-hmm. It was 
you know, it was after the Lehman shock. It was a time when people were cutting back on on spending a little bit. And I think this was really attractive. The those strong cans were a very attractive cost performance wise option for people who wanted to get their buzz on and not spend a whole lot of cash. So 9% high fruity or citrusy quotient there. It's highly crushable. You're, you can go through a few of them and not break the bank. And they were, they were booming. They were killing it. Mm-hmm. Um, Orion or Orion in Okinawa actually had to cancel their strong chew high line last year because it was, they were worried about links to alcoholism and they're really super affordable. I mean, we're talking $2 a can and it's a decent punch packed in there. So I'm, I'm not an expert on these things. I haven't consumed a lot of the seven to 9% stuff. I, I figure if I'm going to be having one of those things, I'd rather have it at a izakaya where I'm enjoying some food at the same time and the, the ambiance of, of the establishment. But if you're, if you had a long day, it probably fits the bill in a number of situations. Sure. And those are often sold in 500 ml cans, right? They're the tall boys. It's not, it's not the shorties. And it really is a concern. I mean, 9% alcohol in a, in a 500 ml, that's quite a bit of, quite a bit of booze. You do drink two or three of those and you know, you could, you could be surprised. So, yeah, you know, kudos to Orion or Odeon for, for doing that, that, you know, recognizing that there is a risk to super cheap, uh, easily crushable alcohol. And 9% is the limit simply for tax reasons. After 9%, the price goes way up. But when I went shopping this afternoon, I went around to several convenience stores in this, in the local supermarket to look, to see what the options were. And in the supermarket, their store brand is 85 cents a can, 85 yen per can. Yeah. That is crazy for an adult beverage in Japan. You know, this is a first world country, right? We're not talking about some low cost of living region of the world where a drink is 85 cents. We're talking about, you know, one of the world's largest economies where a 7% alcohol drink is 85 cents. Yeah. They probably need to put a a lower threshold on how cheap they can make alcohol here because that's kind of ridiculous. I mean, I bought nine cans and I wasn't being price conscious. I was just looking for flavors and styles that I thought would be interesting. And I sort of wanted to taste through them. And I spent 1200 yen and that includes the the 10% consumption tax. Mm -hmm. So nine cans for for essentially what's that about 10 and a half, $11 US. Yep. So yeah, it's, it's very, very affordable. And I think that there's a risk to that. And I agree with you. Probably there should be some disincentive to, uh, you know, making them so cheap or, you know, so accessible. Yeah. And it tends to be in the can anyway, that the higher the alcohol, the cheaper the, the base spirit is. So it's almost invariably going to be vodka in those strong, in the, in the so-called strong K, which is the 2010 and more recent iteration and the lower ABV cans will often have what we called shochu before, but it's korui shochu. So it's essentially like, it's kind of like vodka, but in some way they've leveraged the enzymatic activity of koji during the process in an industrial industrial secret way. And then you'll also see cans that are made with jozo alcohol, which is basically the same thing again. 
And then occasionally you'll get cans that are made with something that I believe is going to be called Hongkak shochu. So they don't always label it as such, but they'll often label the ingredient as uh, otsurui shochu. And otsurui is the former name for Hongkak shochu. Mm -hmm. And then you'll have in the can, it's as Stephen said, it's often uh, fruit or sometimes it's tea. I mean, you have rokcha, you have oolong cha, you have a bunch of different things that are mixed in there with the shochu. And then almost always it's a sparkling drink. So usually it's club soda is mixed in with it and it's available pretty much everywhere. But it's very different from the, from the products that are offered on the menu at izakaya and restaurants. And izakaya that really take their too high game seriously, as we said before, they do use fresh fruit. They might use fresh vegetables and they use, they leverage a variety of base spirits to make a, a really diverse group of expressions that they can offer their customers. And the mixers are really interesting. There's a whole industry of mixers that has been born in this country that was enabled by the patents still, the columns still, mm -hmm. because there was this neutral spirit there that was going to be so cheap, they were going to be able to basically mix really cheap cocktails. That's what a Chuhai is, really. We're talking cocktails here mm -hmm. and offer a whole bunch of different flavor profiles, everything from things that taste kind of like beer to things that taste a little bit like whiskey to things that taste, oh, that tastes like tea. And then the citrusy stuff and everything in between. I had at one Izakaya, I had a Gyunyu highball, right? I had a milk highball. And there's just a <laughs> ton of creativity in this sector. Sure. And I am glad to see that there are finally some Honkaku Chuhai starting to appear in the market. There are. So some authentic, uh, using authentic uh, shochu, uh, predominantly in, in Kagoshima, mm -hmm. right? A number of distilleries down there have started to can with carbonation and very low alcohol, some of their spirits. Uh, I think usually a little bit of sweetener, a little bit of acidity added uh, to make it a little more flavorful. Uh, but those have started to appear. Ichiko is doing the same thing. Right. And it's so it's starting to appear and those are those are a bit more expensive. You're paying for the fact that these are, you know, single pot distilled koji fermented spirits that are going into the can rather than industrial distillate. And, you know, you get what you pay for. Right. And it kind of exciting for me because when I was living in the States, I was always kind of nostalgic about, you know, being able to go to Japan, go to the kombini, pick up a, a chuhai, make it your road soda as you're walking between stops. You know, just it's something you just can't do in the States. And I wanted Chuhais to appear in the States outside of bars, and there just weren't any. Right. Uh, but finally, there is. Mm -hmm. Right. They, uh, it's actually Yabai Chuhai has launched in the US. They actually recently reformulated and relaunched, but they're using Japanese distilled spirits to make Chuhais, and they're in the US market. Yeah. And I know that there have been a number of outfits thinking about this for a long time. And it was interesting that the first thing to hit was the hard seltzer craze that is starting to ebb a little bit now in the States. But it only seems natural that soon after a chew high craze might start to perk up in the wake of that boom. I mean, it's if it's a Japanese-made product, then it's got to be of higher quality than something like, and I haven't tried it be before, so forgive me, but a White Claw. Everybody talks about White Claws. I've never touched a White Claw before, but it's got to be better than that, right? <laughs> You, you landed that joke so softly. I'm about to get, and I'm, uh, there's a lawsuit coming probably, but hey. 
defamation. Yeah, I mean, it's got to taste better than something called a white claw, right? I think that's uh, it's. I I agree. I I haven't tried it either. Is it really ebbing the the hard seltzer craze? Do you think sales have been, according to what I've been reading for the last few months, sales have not been blasting through the roof like they were last year. Okay. Yeah, I mean, when we were in the states though this summer, I was watching people just walk into liquor stores go to the stack of White Claw at the front door, pick up a couple of cases, check out, not even look at the rest of the options. Yep, you're right. And they put those, they put the island of those hard seltzers right next to the register to make it easy for everyone. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's, it's really a very quick transaction. It's not like, they don't do it like the supermarket where they hide the milk and the dairy products at the back so you have to walk past everything. They're like, no, we know what you're here for. There's your, there are your suds right there. Go ahead, take them, get out of, get out of here, you teeny bopper. <laughs> yeah, it's it was interesting to watch. And that all started right as I left. So I've uh, not tried them, not really excited to try them. But I guess maybe for research, they sort of fit into the same category of a, you know, carbonated, alcoholic, sweet, fruity beverage. Yeah, I think you're right. And moving away from the canned drinks for just a second, there is other reason for hope in markets outside of Japan, because there are premium cocktail bars that are actively embracing, actively seeking out the possibilities of two highs in, in their own cocktail menus. And we've seen that on our own with our own eyes recently. And then there's also brands such as Mizu Shochu, which have really been pushing it hard. Ichigo is pushing it hard in the US market right now. So I think there's going to be a lot more of this to come. Oh, I, I completely agree. And I, I think Mizu's done a fantastic job making the Chuhai a thing, uh, especially in New York City, where you have Katana Kitten now doing Chuhais, you have uh, Bargoto, and then Mizu with their, you know, we talk about them all the time, but the lemongrass and green tea expressions just naturally lend themselves to that kind of expression, you know, with soda, a little bit of fruit, really, really beautiful. And if you think about it, when we think about Western drinks traditions, the Chuhai is not that far off from like a gin and tonic because mm-hmm. you're talking about a base spirit, soda, sparkling, or at least carbonated drink, sugar, and fruit. Yeah. So Chuhai is pretty close to a gin and tonic and really whether it's vodka tonic or, you know, whatever else people like to sip on, um, you know, it's just that the base spirit's different. Sometimes the fruit might be different, but it's a similar concept. Yeah. And it's also a fun drink because it's very easy to make at home. You can make too high at home using a bunch, at least if you live in Japan, let me say that first and foremost, because of that cottage industry that I mentioned before that has been making mixers for the industry, for the bar and the izakaya industry for decades. I mean, we're talking about what Hopi was established just after the war, right? And then soon after that, you had uh, hoist. Have you ever tried a hoist before? No, what is that? Hoist, well, Hopi is one of those mixers that goes in with the shochu, the neutral shochu. The, why are we calling it shochu? Let's just call it korui because it's not really shochu. Um, and it's it tastes a little bit like a beer, I suppose, except for that it has ice in it. And hoisu was that came a couple of years later. I saw it written that it was established in, in 1950, but I also saw a poster where it said hoisu, established 1949. So I don't know what the truth is, but they made something that when teamed with korui, would imitate the flavor profile of a whiskey. And hoisu is actually uisuki, hoi, 
hoisuki hoisu. That's how that, apparently that's how that (laughs) name came about. I had that explained to me when I was a little bit inebriated and I'm very surprised that I latched onto that little nugget. I must have laughed my butt off that chair and that's why it stuck. Maybe when I hit my ass on the ground, it lodged in my brain. For clarification, is this a non-alcoholic carbonated base? No, it's, 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 the carbonation is separate. It's a, it's a mixer that goes in with the shochu and then you add the carbonation and it imitates kind of a whiskey highball. That's fascinating. (laughs) Another one of those Tokyo companies, (laughs) he's a Tokyo company. Yeah. Yeah, There's, um, there's a bunch of them. I mean, there's so much stuff up here. We could do a whole episode on, on two high mixers, I think. We probably should. I'm learning something new, which I do almost every episode we record. But I mean, Hopi, I knew that's essentially an extremely low proof beer that you add Koroi Shochu to. And it's ubiquitous, almost ubiquitous in Tokyo. Yeah. And hard to find in Kyushu. But uh, Hoisu is a new one for me. (laughs) Hoisu. Yeah. There's just, and there's a bunch of companies in Tokyo that make particular lines of mixer for too high culture. It's fascinating. And then you have about probably 20 different types of carbonated water that you can choose from. Different izakaya have their own preference. It's a really interesting aspect of bar and izakaya culture in this country. Yeah, there have been a lot of flavored seltzers I've seen in the market and coming on the market. It seems like there's a new flavor every month or two. Yeah. At least, or maybe I'm becoming aware of them. But those all seem to. Uh, lend themselves to to making chew high at home as well. I think I think they do. I think there's endless possibilities if you have if you just have. I mean, hey, if you have some umeshu and you have sparkling, and then you have I don't you know, and then maybe a little bit of. If I don't know, even know if you would need the shochu, but you there's so much stuff that can be done to make these these very light spritzers that are nice. Um, not only in the summer, but also when you're snacking, when you're maybe having appetizers or something like that at home, I think they're definitely an option. It's that, it's that refreshing, especially summer sort of experience. So I'm almost afraid to ask, but are you sipping on something? Mm. Yep. I am. I just opened a can of something you mentioned a, a moment ago, which is the Shitamachi no Haiboru, made by the very good people at Sanwa Shurui. This is a barley shochu-based 7% highball, and, which is essentially a chuhai. And it's, it's interesting. I like how across, at the top, it says basically no purines. So if you have gout, it's not going to make anything flare. No residual sugars, no added aroma stuff, and no added sweeteners. So what is this made of air? Um, but anyways, <laughs> I'm going to take a sip. And it's, it's definitely barley shochu base with a, a little bit of, a little bit of a sweetness to it. Did you get the green can or the red can? I got the green one. Okay. Actually, that was one that was left over from a while ago. I found it. I didn't go out hunting. I found it in the fridge. Gotcha. Yeah. I, I think I finished, I finished those a couple of weeks ago. Because they sent us a case, I think. What are you drinking? I actually, like I said, I went out and I got nine different expressions, and I actually decided to try. I think for the first time, Kirin's Hyoketsu, 
Oh, okay. It's sort of their ubiquitous frozen, I guess kyoketsu means frozen in some way, uh, chuhai. And I got the grapefruit flavor. Okay. Uh, it's only, it's 5% alcohol, 4.2% fruit juice. Mm-hmm. And it's pretty sweet, but I tend to like uh, the grapefruit flavor in chuhai. Okay. That's sort of, when it comes to cans, that's the ones I gravitate toward. So I decided to pop that one open. I also picked up a few other styles, which I'll probably put on social media over the next few weeks as I try them. Mm. Uh, not something I drink very often, but it's nice to have a few around, I guess. Yeah, me neither. When I know that I'm going to a bar or an izakaya that has a really good chuhai or a really good highball, then I will order it often early on in my stay there. But yeah, it's not so common. I rarely have them at home. But I luckily I did today. So I was able to stick with the theme. That worked out. Yeah. Yeah, I actually, a couple of interesting styles that I found today, which I hadn't seen before. One, I did find a tomato chuhai. Okay. Which I'm excited to try. And then the other was a yogurt chuhai. It's citrus with yogurt. Yeah. Horoyoi is a, I know they have something yogurty. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Those are all interesting. Tend to be a little bit lower ABV. Am I right? Yes. Yes. Yeah. Somewhere closer to 3%. So yeah, it's a huge, huge industry. As Steven said, they, they make a lot of money for these massive manufacturers. And then they also sell private brands to supermarkets and, you know, you have the top value brand and, and I know that like Eon, yeah, that the top value brand that Eon carries and other, I think JR has its own private brand of Chuhai. It's, it's a huge, huge part of the drinks industry here. Do you have a favorite canned Chuhai? I don't really. I mean, there's, you know what? I'm going to take that back though. I was pleasantly surprised by the Chuhai that Coca-Cola puts out. Um, They put out three different expressions that were, I can't remember exactly because it it was a while ago, but the ABV is different on them. Mm -hmm. And it's the first time Coca-Cola anywhere in the world has offered a, an alcoholic beverage and they used a, a shochu base, which is wild. And it started out almost exclusively in Kyushu. And then it once it was successful, they now they sell it here and you can get it in Family Mart right next to where I live. And I don't mind it. I don't I think the middle one, maybe the five percent one, is kind of like, yeah, that's kind of okay. Okay. But I'm really I think I drink a lot more too high when I'm when I'm at Izakaya, I think. So I drink far less of it in can form. Gotcha. Yeah, I actually, I found those Coca-Cola ones today and there's three, five, seven, and now there is nine. Oh, Jesus. And then there's nine dry. So they, they now have five different expressions, at least that was available local to me. I only picked up the three, five, I think maybe only the three and the five. I thought seven might just be getting a little bit too high, but my actual favorite can too high, I've only found it at service areas or Michino Eki in Oita Prefecture. And it's simply called Kabosu Highball. Mm. So it's not branded as any specific company. It's a, it's a private label done for the prefecture. And the best I can tell is it's fresh Kabosu citrus and carbonated water with uh, probably Koroi Shochu. But it's, it's nice, light, refreshing, no added sugar. I uh, really enjoy the, the brightness of it and the acidity. So... I'd say that's my favorite, but I think you have to go to Oita to get any. Hmm. Well, that is a possibility. All right. Well, that was a 
interesting episode, I think. A whole lot to say about something that we don't, you know, normally don't talk about so much. Maybe that was why. Maybe because we don't talk about it very often, we had more to say. That may be. That, yeah, it was fun. It was interesting to hear your perspective. We, we actually have almost never talked about too high. So, yeah, fun to get your perspective. Yeah. Well, and thank you all very much for listening. We do not usually write or talk about this, but do feel free to reach out to us on Twitter or Instagram. You can find me at Chris Pellegrini on Twitter and at Christopher Pellegrini on Instagram. How about you, Stephen? And of course, you can find me at Japan Distilled on both Twitter and Instagram. Hit us up with your thoughts. Also, please tune in to our Japan Distilled show Tuesday, every Tuesday evening. Because of daylight savings, it's going to be switching to 8 p.m. Eastern time. Uh, and it's just every Wednesday at 10 a.m. here in Japan. And thank you very much for listening, as always. Thank you, Stephen. Thank you, Christopher. All right. And to everyone out there in Japan distilled land around the world, from both of us here in Japan, a very hearty and heartfelt kanpai. Kanpai. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of the Japan Distilled Podcast. This has been Christopher Pellegrini with my co-host Stephen Lyman. Our theme song is Begin Anywhere by the very talented Tomoko Miyata. Audio engineering by the incomparable Rich Pav, who also edits the fantastic Uncanny Japan podcast with Teresa Matsuura. Please give that a listen as well if you're interested in Japanese fables and ghost stories. 